welcome to 13, the podcast that asks 13 questions of Colgate University community members. I'm your host, Daniel DeVries, and I'm very excited to be in the studio today with Assistant Professor of Sociology, Justin Helopolole. Now, um, Justin is a cultural anthropologist, a native Hawaiian. Justin grew up in Arizona and has participated in activist work at the U.S.-Mexican border. He's worked on housing justice and criminal justice reform and prison abolition in Massachusetts. Justin is passionate about accessibility in higher education, and he earned his bachelor's degree in anthropology from Arizona State University and his graduate degree from the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Welcome to 13. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hi, Justin. So um, this is kind of an interesting episode, and I think, I may be wrong, you might be the most quote-unquote junior faculty nice. member we've had on the <laughs> podcast yet. Was When did you start at Colgate? So um, let's see. Last year was my second year um, as a visiting instructor. Um, so this will be my third year, but First year as tenure track. Okay, so. very good. Well, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Um, tell us a little bit about your path to Colgate and what you teach here. Sure. Um, so let's see. I did my yeah undergraduate studies at Arizona State University um, in anthropology. I thought I was going to be an archaeologist and um, did a field school in Ethiopia which was amazing, um, and seeing, this was like paleoarchaeology, um, seeing the field work, seeing the process um, was so um, like interesting and amazing, and I just found out I was terrible at it. Oh, like, really? So... What, what, what about it? What about it scared you so, away? Um, uh, well, archaeology in general, very uh, like detail-oriented, um, a lot of... Um, delicate brushwork and cataloging and um i was just what i like needed to move more I tedious like, yeah, that, yeah i'm trying to find better word but yeah yeah <laughs> de- yeah <laughs> and i was like oh my gosh i'm like bumping sand into other people's like plots i'm like um realizing that i was way more interested in talking to people um so talking to some of the people who are working on the dig site who were local who are from that region who'd been doing this work alongside archaeologists for decades it's like oh i think i'm like more more drawn to that and, and then switched to cultural anthropology and that's like pretty much where I've, I've been but that's a pretty like expansive um kind of sub-discipline within anthropology and so yeah i did undergraduate work at arizona state um and then graduate school at university of massachusetts and amherst um and throughout like really interested in um, how to combine scholarship and, and research with activism and thinking about, like, who are the communities um, that I'm drawn to working with and, and what are they trying to do? Um, how can research be useful? How can and having, like, an anthropologist around to be useful and not just a, a burden on, on a community or, or someone trying to extract um knowledge without giving back, which has been the history for a lot of um, social sciences, a lot of fields, a lot of academia in general. So mm. so that's been kind of what drew me to anthropology as well as a field where I could stay involved in activism in different communities and be doing the kinds of engaged work I would want to do anyway, but then also be able to teach and um, research and have a community of people um, to like also read things together and so this is like the, the, the field I wanted to be in. Um, and coming to Colgate was um, just like kind of a, a surprise. Like academia is a, like a gamble of like who happens to be hiring, who's looking for an anthropologist, like yeah. who do, does related research in this moment. Um, and and I, I didn't know much about, much about Colgate. I, like I hadn't been to a liberal arts college. Mm-hmm. Um, myself so this was my f- first experience so I was a little sort of yeah unsure like what it was going to be like or feel like but it's been amazing and I feel yeah ex- excited to be here excited about the possibilities of continuing to do the kinds of work that I've been drawn to and and just feeling really supported um so yeah so yeah kind of like, what drew you to Colgate, <laughs> what drew you to Colgate specifically um 
like the so the department that I'm in, SOAN, is a sociology and anthropology um, like combined department, which is pretty rare. Mm. Um, there aren't a lot of, and for me, that's perfect just because topically, so my research is on incarceration, on prison abolition, and historically, that's been mostly sociologists working on that and, and criminologists and um, not not so much anthropology. But for me, what I'm interested in relating to incarceration is um, culturally explaining how does it come to be that in um, the U.S., for example, um, the approach to dealing with harm, um, dealing with transgressions or, or violence um, has has been the use of prisons and jails and policing, and that like isn't the case like throughout time or across different um, communities and places. Like this is a relatively new sort of institution or set of institutions and uh, interventions. So, from a cultural anthropology perspective, just sort of asking what can feel like kind of naive questions um, or sound like naive questions, and that's a lot of anthropology. Sort of asking silly questions. Um, but sort of getting at like the kind of deeper understandings of like like why do we do this or what's the sort of goal of this what's the point of this what does it what does this mean hmm. um, kinds of questions that I find really generative and um, helpful and not just for like the abstract but for like, activism for thinking about it like and do we want to continue using prisons or jails hmm. um, what's what impact do they have what do we Think they do? Um, how do people experience this? Um, because if we're yeah on the sort of activist side, imagining the worlds we want to be living in and building the communities we we want to be living in, like those kinds of questions end up being really helpful. Of like, what's the point of being in a community together? What yeah, what would we like it to look like? What does it look like now? Actually, how did you end up being inter getting interested in the prison system? And I don't know if it's just is it just the U.S. that you focus on, or is it internationally and um, that seems like a big jump from like, uh, you know, studying broken pottery in the ground. <laughs> totally. No, that's a great question. And I was like, kind of constantly wondering that too. Um, and so I focus on the U.S. Um, specifically, and I've done ethnographic research in Massachusetts um, on kind of the um, more like rehabilitation, kind of treatment-oriented um, modes of incarceration, kind of on, like, the progressive edge um, of it. And I guess my, like, trajectory of getting to there from archaeology is, like, one is kind of, like, general curiosity about people and, like, the things we do. Um, and, like, jails, incarceration being, um, like, just in, in general, something that, like, like I don't, I just like fully understand. Just like scares me the idea of like being sure. like incarcerated, being locked up, having my like movements limited. Just is like totally a fear that is like <laughs> oh like I, yeah, um, afraid of and both like curious about. And so, how does it come to be that in this place where I where we live, um, we have the highest rates of incarceration, both like globally but also historically, are doing this thing kind of more than any other like people have done before. Um, like how does that happen? Like why is that happening? Um, how has that come to be? What sort of like sustains that? Especially in a place where you have this these kinds of like interesting, um, kind of confusing, sometimes upsetting like contradictions of emphasizing like freedom and liberty and highest rates of incarceration. So I always get kind of like drawn to a contradiction or like yeah. a seeming contradiction. And that just has like felt like a big curious one for me. And then related to that um, has been research on, on activism and on social movements and um, their interactions with policing. So from the U.S.-Mexican border and immigration and the like heavy degree of policing and borders that very much connected to um immigration detention and 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 I yeah, grew up in Arizona where like policing and immigration are very entangled um, so prisons jails policing have always been on on the edge or, or um, previous research I was doing in Spain on housing occupations and squatting and housing justice activism and there it was always sort of like the the, the threat of, of police and of incarceration and people having to navigate um, sort of 
pushing and demanding change in ways that were disruptive and in ways that kind of confronted the state that could result in in incarceration mm -hmm. sometimes or or at least in, in policing and um and so it was like this like, thing that was like always present um that i sort of for my phd dissertation research wanted to just kind of focus on more directly um and to think about in in the context that i was in in massachusetts in in a place where there's a lot of emphasis on reform and on rehabilitation and on um and has been for for jails and yet they're still like very present and um yeah, so that's I guess sort of like a, a kind of hodgepodge of, yeah, yeah. of reasons of being drawn to it, and also just like that's something that people in my community where I was living were were thinking about and have been thinking about and, and dealing with. So it's like okay, if I'm going to be um, doing research where I'm at, um, what are things people are, care about and are um, wanting to work on, and like in the U.S. especially. Um, say the past couple of years, but longer than that, um, mass incarceration has been a major concern and issue and question. So yep. yeah, a little bit of my own interest, a little bit of sort of like recurring themes and some of just like, here's what people in my community are, are concerned about and are thinking about. So how can I, what can anthropology do? What hmm. could research do? Um, and then what could, could teaching do? Because um, teaching like has been an amazing opportunity too to, um, like as I like to think about it, I get like a new crew of people to think with every semester in every class. And so I have like, here's how I'm thinking about these issues. Here's how other scholars are writing about these issues. And I just get like these really smart people like together like every week. Um, so, and it, it's, so yeah, to think about, yeah, prisons. And I've done a class on incarceration here that was great and students really like were engaged and stepped up, and um, we did um, like writing and independent research projects. We'll, we'll cool, that. cool, cool. We'll yeah, yeah, but yeah, just overall, like, um, have felt like very much that this is a place where like these different things can work really well together. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, both because of like the other faculty and staff, but also students who are like ready to to think with me. Nice. I was doing a, a little bit of reading um, before this episode, and um, you know, I ran into this website um, called the Prison Policy Initiative. Yep, and it says not only does the U.S. have the highest incarceration rate in the world, every single U.S. state incarcerates more people per capita than virtually any independent democracy on Earth. Is this true? And I guess. How did the U.S. get to this point? What was the the like? Were we always like this, or is this something that kind of happened in the past? Like all of a sudden there was a shift. Um, there, so that's a great question, and a question that um, a lot of scholars in in various disciplines are interested in because it's so stark and so um, kind of shocking the scale, um, and so like various um, drivers have. Um, kind of pushed the U.S. towards this um, over the, like, since um, 60s and 70s is, like, this increase, but especially, like, in the 80s and 90s, um, it really increased. Um, and so, like, like a lot of factors. Um, like, like, one is sort of, like, the sort of ongoing um, legacy of slavery, um, and, and especially in, in some parts of the U.S., the transition very directly from chattel slavery um, into incarceration. Um, so folks have, um, like Michelle Alexander, have looked at um, policies um, kind of dubbed the New Jim Crow um, through which um, slavery or um, also um, Ava DuVernay's 13th um, on, on Netflix, a documentary about the 13th Amendment in which through these various policies, um, slavery becomes sort of formally illegal um, with the exception of people who've been convicted of a felony. Um, and so there are various um, like modes through which like some plantations are directly converted into state prisons um, in Louisiana and Mississippi. Um, laws are used um, against um, like new categories are created called like vagrancy um, and very um, racialized anti-black um, laws and policies are passed to try to um, like with the effect or sort of intention of like reproducing 
um, some of the same economies that existed under like formal slavery, but through the mode of prisons and mm. through um, convict leasing programs. And so people are incarcerated, like vastly disproportionately um, um, black people in, in communities in the South, um, incarcerated under by the state and then um, leased out to work um, for private industries, for private plantations. So that's like one mode of this continuation, this sort of ex exception um, within the U.S. compared to other places. Um, but then other um, sort of more recent drivers too, amplifying um, the incarceration rates being um, the war on drugs, um, kind of war on crime, um, this like ramping up of policing rhetoric um, and rhetoric around like insecurity, um, various sort of innovations came out of New York State specifically, so the Rockefeller drug laws, um, orientations towards policing um, that are referred to as um, broken windows policing, um, um, especially um, in New York City as sort of this like laboratory of um, intensive policing, um, increasingly militarized policing. I mean, that was really under like the Giuliani. Giuliani yeah, exactly. Notoriously, uh -huh. this idea that if you sort of this philosophy, if you crack down on very like small infractions on quality of life um, type of things, that that'll prevent um, further crime. Um, and what that results in is both much more policing, and when there's more policing, there's more arrests, there's more people being incarcerated. Um, and these aren't reflecting, like very rarely reflecting any sort of increases in crime or harm. Um, a lot of those have been on the decrease mm -hmm. as incarceration has increased, but increasing just sort of priorities. Or, um, uh, there's a, a study by an anthropologist in Paris, um, Didier Fassin, who, who followed around um, police in, in France, just to get a sense of like, what does the day-to-day -day look like? And like, as like people, um, well, if, if you spent time, like, no, like it's a lot of like waiting, a lot of like boredom, a lot of um, administrative work, um, like very little sort of responding to harm or to crime or to things in progress. Um, but if you have a lot of people um, who are like put into an area to, um, to police, like you, they will find things if they're there. Mm. Um, and so you can, yeah. Um, uh, so some of the like, sort of outcomes like in New York City and in other places of, of these types of policies have been like things like stop and frisk of like um, searching that disproportionately targets um, black and brown communities, community members. Um, and so there's like this, like these like trends happening um, regionally and nationally. And then also part of what I'm interested too is, is the regional variations and differences and um, what like what incarceration looks like, but what sort of accounts for incarceration. And in um, the context where I was doing research, a kind of growing area of concern um, was addiction um, and responses to what's been described as the opioid epidemic, sort mm -hmm. of a more recent um, increase in the use of opioids, so like heroin, fentanyl, um, and then even the newer, newer drugs um, and using policing prisons and jails as um, sort of basically like treatment interventions. And so that's sort of this sort of um, thing that I've been interested in in New England and sort of progressive context is um, where there's been pushed back against um, the kind of like militarized um, policing, um, but an emphasis on treatment and on addic addiction and recovery and how those have actually um, supported an increase in, in jailing um, but for the purposes of uh, addiction treatment or behavioral and mental health. So in a lot of communities, jails are the de facto um, largest mental health providers. And so for me, it's a question of, like, sh should that be the case? Do we want that to be the case? Mm -hmm. um, but in the meantime, describing that this has become the case, um, that this is also. And so other people have looked at the... Um, decrease in, in public funding for various other um, goods, so welfare, for housing, for mental health, um, and the rise of prisons and jails as sort of this like catch-all solution for dealing with a range of issues mm -hmm. and for policing. So police are, are expected to do a lot of different roles that they're not necessarily trained for or supported in um, in responding to mental health 
needs and responding to addiction. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, like a, it's a messy question, which, which makes sense that there's been such, there've been so many efforts, um, towards reform of the criminal justice system or systems. Um, and a lot of them have, have worked to reinforce it or expand it in sometimes unexpected ways. Um, and for me as, as a researcher, as like a, a curious person, I think that's interesting. Like, how has this come to be? Um, what is maintaining it when it seems so contradictory, so counterintuitive? Um, and then also from the activist side of like, and then if we want to change it, like, what would that take? Or mm. what what has happened? How has it come to be the way that it is? Um, and thinking alongside activists who are who are doing this thinking too, um, for me is really exciting and interesting. And um, and again, like yeah, having like students come in to ask the questions and be like, well, what like why? How is this okay? Or like what? Like, why doesn't why doesn't this change? And be like, yeah, that's a great question. Huh. And we should like think about it together and think about where we we could go. Um, because yeah, we're this is these are like our communities. We're we're all connected to it in some way. Um, and yeah, either it's sort of something you face on the day to day, or it's something that's sort of like happening that you're nonetheless um, like paying taxes for or relating sure. to in terms of uh, voting. Um, that. Yeah, I think we all have a stake, and even if it's not obvious or if it's made to be invisible, hmm. I, I one you touched on this briefly um, in your answer, but I'm curious in the U.S. the um, the variation in prison experience or variety of so yeah. if if someone is sent to prison in say Massachusetts. They're convicted of a crime that in, involves prison time, and let's say it's kind of a lower level crime. And um, say they're sentenced to a couple years in prison. Um, let's say that same person is sentenced to the same time in Texas or California or Louisiana. How different is the prison experience for that person for the same crime? It can it can vary, and sort of within systems too can also vary. Um, so yeah, it could be hugely different in terms of what kinds of um, like resources and programming is available. Um, within prisons in general, it's less than in jails. Um, jails are sort of lower level or people who are like waiting for trial. But even then, that can vary depending on, on where you're at. So, um, yeah, like so, so much is determined at the state level um, and or at the county level for jails that they can vary hugely depending on what the Department of Corrections like values or is worried about um, or discourages um, and also based on um, kinds of like partnerships with community groups or religious organizations or folks who are like trying to do work within prison. So um, yeah, like within much bigger states, sometimes there's like fewer things, um, fewer like opportunities for resources. So a lot more um, just kind of like passing time, um, different degrees of, um, like violence and, and harm, like in, in general, like any kind of prison context is just much more amplified, um, risk for abuse and violence and, um, very limited oversight or accountability from the outside. And, and often, um, the like people working within prisons will will point out to just like the extreme disparities in the number of staff for the number of people that they're supposed to be um, keeping safe um, and yeah like ways that people suggest that like this is or not suggest ways that um, this also becomes reinforced as like well this idea this sort of like punitive orientation too that like prison's not supposed to be safe it's supposed to be dangerous and scary and that's supposed to deter people mm -hmm. um even though the sort of sociological like criminological research um kind of for a long time for decades um has argued that 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 doesn't work um deterrence there's no evidence that deterrence works um kind of the like uh like like a gut check you can do is that if deterrence worked, then um, the U.S. having the highest rates of incarceration, some of the um, f 
few other countries, few other democracies, democracies have um, capital punishment. Um, we have some, so we have some of like the longest sentences. We have executions. Um, we have the most incarceration. If deterrence worked, this would be the safest place on earth ever. Um, and so just like saying that to people and their reactions, like, okay, so you don't think it is. That's <laughs> what I'm getting. So um, these things that it feels like it should be true, um, but it isn't working. And so there's like questions of like, how do we sort of like work with that? Like the um, very real feelings and like desire for safety and desire that if something harmful or bad happens, that there'd be a response um, is, is really, is really important and really real. But to think about like, okay, then what would actually make us safer? Like what things, what kinds of responses would lead to um, stronger communities or this, whatever the situation is like being less likely to happen. And so there are people who are working towards prison abolition um, and, and thinking in terms of transformative justice. So um, not just for like in one part thinking about abolition for the idea that um, these these institutions are causing harm in themselves are causing um, are disproportionately incarcerating people based along lines of race along lines of class disability um, that this is a problem but also they're not helping us in the ways that we like would like them to or think they they are um, and we actually need other kinds of solutions so a lot of people doing like projects within within that kind of um, framework and who have been for a long time too. Um, but that's getting a lot more visibility um, to think, yeah, like what what could a response be that would one like interrupt this harm that's happening, like stop it, but also not just like wait until the next time to punish the next person, but to think what made this possible, um, what could prevent that, what changes in in how we do things, whatever whatever the harm was and. Part of why that's a challenge is it's so specific. Um, whereas, like with a prison, you can just have like you did this, this happens. It's very clear. It feels kind of or it can like convey the sort of like um, sense of like satisfaction. Like okay, something has happened. Like justice has been served. But um, for abolitionists or for just people who work with people who are incarcerated, it's like that's not the end. Like people, the end of the the um, TV show is like the the crime is solved. Someone goes to sure. prison, and it's like most people come back, um, and like those communities where that harm has happened, they have to keep going on. So the the episode doesn't end in real life. We have to think about like, okay, now what? This has happened. What do people need? What do people? What do survivors? What do people who've been harmed need? Um, and the current system doesn't do that well. Isn't oriented towards that. It's, it's to kind of arbitrate what happened and punish, um, not to think about okay, what do what do folks who've been harmed need? Or to think about like how did this come to happen in the first place? Um, how did yeah the situation or this person get to be in a place that they did this, and what would need to change afterwards? So for me again, like looping back, like that's an anthropology yeah. question. Is like what do communities look like? What do people want them to be like? Um, and that yeah that I get drawn to. So what what countries do it right, or is there a country <laughs> that does it right that we could model? That's a good question. I mean, and that and for that, it's a, I have a very unsatisfying answer. Oh no, which is like, <laughs> it depends, which is also a very anthropology um, kind of answer. Or if you could take pieces, right? So are there are there pieces of things that places, states, or countries are doing that you think should be applied? Um, I yeah, I'm, like it depends on what on what your hope is. So. Um, and I think it's like really, and part of what I think is the answer is like it depends on the the community and on um, what's valued and what um, how people want to live. And so, like prisons and jails in the U.S. work very well in some ways. Of um, so, like like in terms of um, generating and creating this like huge economy of prisons, like it's very effective. Um, it's very effective in kind of entrenching the role of policing um, within our day-to-day, -day. Um, even within our like entertainment, policing, um, prisons, jails, crime is like what we, like a lot of us turn to for entertainment too. So it's it's become very effective in um, continuing itself. Um, if you have other sort of goals for incarceration or goals for at least how to respond to harm, um, there, it's it's funny because 
a lot of people will, will suggest turning to like Scandinavian countries that have uh, more kind of rehabilitation sort of orientation. Um, and prisons are or can be sort of more open that sort of allow people to like stay more connected with their communities. So when they're returning, they haven't been, you know, gone for 40 years, have no relationships, have no idea how to like reintegrate and often get sent back, like get reincarcerated in, yeah, so it's like Finland, Sweden, Norway, Denmark have more sort of integrated um, programming. But the funny thing is like a lot of those programs already existed in the U.S. Um, so just going back 50 years, um, there there have historically been furlough programs, ways for people who are like about to leave to go um, either like start towards employment or to start working and then return back to the prison or the jail. Um, and that exists in different parts of the country too. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it gets to this um, like interesting idea that there is like a solution to doing it better that's out there that we haven't figured out yet. Um, and, and we've done them all at various moments and various points of time. There have been more rehabilitation and treatment oriented um, ways of doing prison. Um, and so it gets, yeah, kind of like, like, um, or, or where I like try to like, um, push think thinking towards and try to think towards myself is not like, is there like a technical fix, but, um, how these like kind of like basic questions of like, what do we want to do when something bad happens? How do we want to handle that? Um, so that it happens less often or so that the conditions that are creating them like are being addressed. Um, and that's just like a, a messier, question because currently part of yeah part of the issue is that we use incarceration to address so many things mm -hmm. um, that it's entangled in so many things and hard to think out of it um, but the flip side of it is that there's also so many things we could do that would would already um, kind of like get us out of this this mindset of just sort of like making problems invisible making people invisible um, to thinking about like yeah, like what kinds of addiction support treatment could happen? Um, be just be more accessible in general. Be easier to access. What kinds of mental or behavioral health treatment could be accessible um, before someone has done harm? Where are there points where, like, okay, someone's struggling, but there aren't there aren't a lot of options? Um, hmm. Thinking about like um, domestic violence situations um, that could be helped by things like housing options. If people had more could get out of a bad situation more easily like that would help even mm -hmm. though it's not, like not a like a direct way of sure. like replace prisons with this it's like more housing like more ac access to education more like more um, access in these other things like do get at some of the problems that we're currently just like whoop, just lock people up as a response um so a very kind of like <laughs> yeah, it's less easily way out yeah, of like it's what's the result of prisons? Yeah, yeah, to kind of grasp because it's like yeah, you do something bad and then there's a punishment, right? Totally. That's very yeah. clear cut. Yeah, yeah, and but feels like yeah. To think about it ahead of time as to how to prevent the bad thing from happening is different, right? Yeah. And that's a different orientation too, and like that's also a challenge, or it and um, like yeah, there's a different kind of cultural orientation to seeing something bad happening and being like, oh, that's an individual responsibility and they should be held accountable um, to also thinking about like how have we as the people around them sort of allowed this to happen or not intervened or what what could we have done differently and that's like things people are thinking about and and trying and that people have historically in other like communities cultures like approached differently um, and yeah I don't I don't think there is like a, an answer no. of like they're <laughs> doing it right and we're doing it wrong I think I Thought we were going to solve it right here. But, um, well, tell me a little bit about your course. Um, I think it's got an interesting title, Cultures of Incarceration. So explain the title and uh, what students do in that class. Thank you. So um, the title is is getting at like one, using anthropology to think about like what's the lived experience of people who are incarcerated um, as this kind of um, – site that is both made invisible and distanced it's walled off right um, prisons are often in uh, more rural areas it, being in upstate new york sort of synonymous with prisons depending on the community you're a part of like going upstate could be a euphemism <laughs> um is. and and it's because there's a lot of prisons sort of like in in this larger 
area region. Um, and so prisons are, are these places that are like set away from um, society or that's sort of the intention has been historically. Um, so one part of the classes is reading the perspectives of people who are incarcerated, who work within prisons um, to get a sense of like, what is life actually like um, in these places? Um, and then like from there, like thinking about how like one as sort of these exceptional sites of, um, yeah, sort of more vulnerable, like dangerous, oppressive, scary, um, to thinking about how not different they might be, um, how connected they are to the to our daily lives outside of prisons and how these extend outwards. And so how a lot of the dynamics within prisons might be amplified, might be more in, intensified, um, but aren't that different from the kinds of uh, discrimination or even like hierarchies in power um, or sort of uh, policing and regulation that happen outside of these communities, but also in terms of the connection to larger economies um, that extend beyond the prisons to larger like political structures, um, to even getting at the, what are the cultural ideas that reinforce the institution of the prison, the existence of it. So getting back to kind of start with the, the yeah, sort of entertainment side or the cultural side of, of how prominent, how present these, these kinds of institutions and practices are in our day-to-day -day lives. And, and I like, like very much like um, volunteer myself as, as an example of like, yeah, when I like go home and watch TV or watch movies, like, yeah, I'm watching the like, the, you know, the um, investigator who's like bending the rules to solve the crime and the mystery. And it's like stepping back and just looking at the, you know, um, streaming platform screen is like, whoa, what percentage of these shows or movies or things I'm watching like are normalizing are making mm -hmm. um just feel just like oh it's always been this way it's always going to be this way these these institutions like prisons that are only a couple hundred years old like aren't that aren't that old are new institutions the institutions of, of the police not that old also but have like come to feel so natural so that it's hard for for many people like in the u.s and in a lot of places now to imagine that that could not be that might not be the case there mm. could be other other ways of doing things um so thinking about cultures in, in these in these like multiple ways of like, yeah, what is sort of the, the, the particular um, um, patterns and dynamics and ways of, of interacting that take place within prisons, um, within jails, within detention centers, um, but also beyond that, that the, these are sites that are embedded in larger cultures that we're all part of in different ways and to understand those relationships. So to think about um, Colgate or about like a, like a college campus as something that feels so different um, but then in these interesting ways like are connected as as institutions that are um, like trying to to produce certain kinds of people in different directions and with different sort of like trajectories and hopes and um, and, and, and yet like where are there like these weird similarities or where are there like direct connections in terms mm -hmm. of like the like the kinds of vendors that colleges use for like dining or for things that are just like work with all kinds of institutions like that's like uh, something that a lot of students have gotten interested in and um, and yeah it sort of helps us understand that like these can these like places can seem so different and scary and also like aren't are not that far in a lot of different ways. And for a lot of different students that have different sort of personal stakes too or connections or relationships as well. And um, yeah, and and, yeah, and it's been so cool to work, working with students who are like naming these and finding um, like connections that I've never thought about and finding like ways to, to get involved and, and support. And so um, students are doing uh, readings, um, doing their own, research um we read a book by albert woodfox it was like um, memoirs of a uh incarcerated political prisoner who was the person who served um and up to his release the longest time in solitary confinement ever like known recorded at least in the u.s but wow. potentially ever um and that's this yeah very like powerful memoir over 40 years <sighs> um i'm forgetting the number right now um but yeah, so it's just like hard to even like understand what that is. Um, but it's an incredible writer um, and very insightful and, and um, eventually released, but through his story, I get to see um, both the experience inside, but then also 
um, his like legal struggles and uh, fights, and then all the support from community members that made um, his release possible and, and sustained him throughout. Um, so like that kind of engagement. Um, but then what's exciting is um, doing uh, like a pen pal letter writing exchange. Um, and so students wrote letters to people who are currently incarcerated. Um, and we got sort of several rounds back and forth really? of letters. Yeah, and it was amazing because um, it's like an opportunity to to connect across communities, demographics, like people who are like very geographically separated, separated in um, like life experience, like in a lot of you life get, experiences. Right. So, and, so yeah. you got to tell me a little bit more cool, about yeah, this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so were all the inmates from the same prison? How did you find the inmates? Yeah. How did you connect the students? Tell me about this. Yeah, yeah. So... So, so far I've done two semesters. The first semester, um, and I'm so appreciative of students being down for like these experiments. And as I like <laughs> warned them at the beginning, it's like we're sending mail one, which is like the length of time letters take. Are they going to get there? Like this is a different yeah, mode of communication than we use regularly, at least within like a class schedule. So it's like maybe this will work. I don't know. And it was writing to contacts that I had made while doing research um, in Massachusetts, but then also different, there's different networks of kind of letter writing um, groups across the U.S. So the first semester, it was kind of all over the place. Um, we heard back from some people, some letters just never got back, and students were like understanding like good sports about like some people might hear back, others don't, it's not personal. Like, yeah, yeah. So people get released, which is great, or they get transferred and, and things happen. So um, but still, I was like, I was like, amazed the first semester how much engagement we got back from people inside, um, and out of that sort of initial incarcerated pen pal group, they recruited for the next semester. So the second semester, mostly um, based in Norfolk, Massachusetts, um, and it's a a prison there where there's a lot of um, people involved in educational programming, in um, like reform organizing on the inside, um, people who like organize groups like themselves too. And so like people from a couple different groups um, got got really interested and have been like really consistent pen pals and, and coordinators from the inside and recruiting other people to write. And so students like were able to share like what we, what we'd been reading, like questions that had come up like, what's this like? What's your experience like? Um, and then a lot of it is just, like, really um, cool, just, like, like, humans interacting about, like, interests or about just, like, kind of basic, like, basic stuff. Um, and, I th yeah, I think often the often the, the surprise is, like, oh, how similar we might be, even though, like, on paper it sounds like we'd be extremely different, that we can actually relate. Like, we have had, like similar relationships to parents or to siblings um confusion about like what should i do with my life mm -hmm. a lot of good just sort of like 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 peer mentoring and coaching like what do i do when like this thing didn't turn out well or like um a lot of yeah just like really very, like cool human interaction mm -hmm. and then interesting like questions about prison about vice versa about college about how oh, these things work and yeah. um yeah, I've just been like really like impressed and excited with the engagement in both directions. Um, and what was cool is that there's another student project out of the Cove um, that's also doing letter writing to incarcerated pen pals. So I've been able to kind of like pass on some relationships to them. And like that's another way for students um, who are interested in this, um, who aren't in the class, to be able to get involved in this kind of work because it's like one, just like a really like encouraging thing to get a letter if you're incarcerated, but even if you're not, just like getting mail is exciting. Like getting a letter, like it's pretty rare these days. Yeah. Like it's, it, it's, it's usually a bill. It's usually, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's like not usually fun, like <laughs> let alone like inspiring, but here, yeah, like there's like cool conversations were able to happen, even in like the limited time of like a class. Like mm -hmm. that's enough to make like a cool like connection, um, to learn a lot, to get inspired. And people inside are amazing. Some have like, completed um, bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, like while incarcerated through remote classes. So they're also well-versed, they're thinking a lot. Some are like published writers. Um, so also getting to a lot of like stereotypes or like 
vice versa about college students that they're not serious and like mm. writing to students here they're like wow like it's like cool like breaking a lot of stereotypes and uh, misunderstandings nice. just through yeah like real simple like kind of like yeah just letters so that's been exciting if like kind of an unwieldy thing to try to like coordinate within yeah between you know you have like a couple months and then the semester's gone and like how do you yeah make it like meaningful and interesting and um but yeah i've been really lucky to have people on both sides who are down and flexible that's interesting <laughs> any famous uh, prisoners involved or um not yet no. but yeah, yeah <laughs> probably there's a lot of like good organizers yeah. and writers um some yeah it's notorious no no no, yeah. no. <laughs> um you know before we sat down for this recording um i you i think i i had uh, read that um you said students have as much to learn from each other um mm-hmm. as you have to teach them and and that you try to structure into your classes um alongside the analysis and text and, and lecture that you set aside time for students to learn from each other. How does, how does that work? Yeah. So like really basically try to do a check-in like related to the material for each day, like at the beginning of class. Um, and I'm very transparent about it. Like on the one hand, it's like, it's like a warm up. So if, like if, if people have spoken once in <laughs> class, even if it's just like, how are you? Yeah. Here's a question. They're more likely to talk. Um, but then also because, um, like, this is anthropology. We're interested in people, and we're all people. Um, and so people's lived experiences um, are are so relevant to any of the topics that we're talking about or perspectives or understandings. And even just that, like, one kind of brief window going around talking about the topic, some kind of question, but also just, like, the basics of, like, how's your day going um, is sort of, like, I hope like a reminder of like you're a person too. That's what we're studying. Yeah. Yeah. And also like the things you're thinking about, the things your lived experience is extremely relevant. So trying to bring that in um, to the class. So that's like, like one way in all the classes Um, I'm doing uh, culture, diversity and inequality, which is like the cultural anthropology kind of intro level class. And in that, um, Students do an ethnographic project on a community they're a part of, especially like sometimes it's it's usually first years and, and second years. Um, so it might be like a new Colgate community that they're a part of and reflecting on their experiences. Because as we're learning about kinship, about belonging, um, uh, they're like becoming parts of part of a new community in various ways. Um, they're thinking about like Greek life. Um, about a team that they're joining, about their, like, dorm, um, that that's a new community they're entering, figuring out how do we relate to each other, how, who belongs where, who's yeah, who's in Curtis, who's in a different, like, scene. Um, and then so that's, like, a way of thinking about the things we're reading about in a different context, thinking about rituals, like, how do you know you're part of the group? There's often these, like, things, these the rituals of... of a passage that you go through mm. to know that you are you're a part of it. There's like um, culture that you're entering into, and that's for me. It's like a really interesting kind of moment as they're like entering, as we we're all like entering like a new culture or community. At the beginning of every year, it's like being established that there's like something to reflect on, and and students come from all different places and backgrounds um, to this place. Um, and so for that like intro class, it's been really fun to like use that point to reflect on. Like as we're learning about other communities, to think about like your own, and especially in this moment where it's like new and you're figuring it out, and um, there's new traditions and new um, important numbers and colors and things that are like become become that will become very familiar, but at this point are like kind of new um, to reflect on. Um, and so yeah, like that is like a built-in project to think about these uh, kind of taken for granted communities that that we all are a part of and to think of those like those like a culture is being created at all times like in a workplace in um a place where you're living um, and to think about those and to think about how that comes to be one just like out of curiosity like it's so in- interesting on its own but then two to think about like and yeah how do you want it to be because um especially as, like as they'll be here for like a couple more years like they will then become the the elders in yeah, the community. Sure. It's like a, it's a short <laughs> it's a short a short period, um, but then they become the authorities that are sort of welcoming and new students. And so thinking about like 
power within that too like how like again like how do we um how what are our communities like actually like right now what do we want them to be like how can we um sort of think about that and 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 how that changes or could change um Mm -hmm. so yeah so like that's kind of the the intention with this like um autoethnographic project of thinking about themselves in communities they're part of while we're reading about other communities that might seem on surface level again like distant different foreign um that there's so much like overlap things to learn across so Hmm. those are some examples but yeah i'm always like kind of thinking about like and with the assumption that um with all the experiences that students bring into the classroom like there are a lot of um people like students if given in an opening or a platform or an invitation could could teach us about that topic about Mm -hmm. that subject about questions we should be thinking about um so try to to keep that in mind and think about that as alongside the text we're reading alongside um what i'm bringing in terms of lecture in terms of um my research is like trying to figure out like how these can all be in conversation throughout the class i'm curious um, in your research and, and the things you've read in, in recent years, if you're seeing any new trends um, within the prison systems of America, um, either for good or for worse? Definitely, yeah, and in various directions. <laughs> so, like, there's, yeah, just in, in recent years, a lot more interest in the kind of broader public and more mainstream in reform. And that's been really interesting. And so, a lot of emphasis on, yeah treatment on access to education there have been a lot of cool programs um colgate included of doing um educational access within prisons and jails um and so that's definitely growing more access and again it's like in this interesting way like rebuilding things that did exist in like this like 50s 60s um where there there was more going on um but that's happening more um yeah, just more um, groups like the Prison Policy Institute, like other community activist nonprofit groups who are um, just getting more awareness, more information about what prisons look like, what incarceration looks like. Um, and I think that's really encouraging and, and hopeful. And just like the kind of um, expanse of it that there are like very serious uh, conversations about abolition, which is this kind of like, I kind of like, like skimmed through earlier but this is like really radical idea that we could structure our societies differently and not use prisons and jails like that's pretty radical but now it's a it's an idea that's in the new york times that's in um teen vogue um it's in these like venues that are reaching a, a much broader range of people um and generationally like a lot of students are already familiar with these concepts and that's new where i don't yeah i don't have to do as much intro because they're like yeah yeah we've been talking about that or like we were doing um marches for black lives like we're they're like versed in a way that hasn't been the case and i've yeah i've been teaching for a few years like here and and previously and just seeing that change has been really interesting to to think with what's the like diversity of ideas we can be thinking with has gotten bigger um and that's cool and exciting and also yeah there are within the U.S. different tendencies in different directions. So at the same time, there's also calls for more policing or more um, uh, harsher penalties, changes in policies, things that are, are becoming criminalized that weren't um, like access to abortion, um, reproductive justice, like things um, are being, yeah, like, like laws are passed that are making things crimes that weren't. And so that's another kind of like window into um kind of destabilizing these ideas that come to be seen as natural like oh crime is crime it's like oh crime is a cultural idea Mm -hmm. depending on what is seen as good or bad and that changes over time but also place by place so yeah there are like movement towards like reform decarceration sort of less incarceration and move towards more incarceration um so it's a lot is happening right now so, so there's a lot to study which is like <laughs> interesting but it's not yeah there, there i would say that there's no sort of um clear trend in any direction no one but a lot trend, of ha- yeah. yeah a lot happening mm. um which is both yeah can feel like chaotic and overwhelming but it's also like a um like a time of like potential and like possibility too where there's like a lot of ideas on the table and 
um, a sense that things should change. Um, not necessarily agreement about like in what way or for towards what um, goal, um, but that's yeah. Like the part is um, what I'm excited about is sort of like thinking with that, thinking with things that are happening and how students are are understanding those too. That these are these like things you see on the news like are very much connected to what we're talking about in class. That um, the conversations you go back and have with your like friends or family um, are like very much connected to the ones that we're having in class and trying to make those, trying to bridge those. Um, I'm excited about, and it's also, yeah, it's hard, messy. There's like a lot. Yeah. It's like the theme of it, right? Prison system is messy. Yeah, right. um, have you ever, right, no easy answer. <laughs> it's a lot of anthropologists like, Oh, it's messier. It's more complicated. <laughs> have you ever taught in a prison? Um, I've done a couple groups in jails in Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's yeah, and it's great, and it, like um, really just sort of revealing my own assumptions um, about like s- about s- about students inside, and that students were very engaged and very um, like motivated, um, interested, very um, like well read um, up on the news, like are like talking to each other, um, and yeah, it was a great experience, and I hope to do to do it again to do more um and yeah and the like ideal like something i was i was a student in a class that was combined incarcerated students and students from the outside and we'd meet in the jail oh wow every week and yeah and it was great and it was like this um kind of yeah like a like a check for a lot of our assumptions again that like oh like maybe it won't be as rigorous and that was not the case it's like we need to catch up because these incarcerated students were just like doing amazing like writing and were like ready to talk and it yeah it, like really pushed the class um in a in this like really helpful like challenging way um, that was really cool and um again sort of the yeah, bridging across difference and finding similarities where you might not expect them um, was great. So yeah, that's sort of, I, and it was like an inside out model, um, class. So excited to, yeah, try to like, like think about similar kinds of like formats, um, <laughs> of doing that again. Um, but yeah, and, and there's a challenge cause then it's like multiple bureaucracies and like <laughs> the timing and like transportation and, um, yeah. And people's like concerns about security and safety. Um, and, so there's a lot that goes into it and a lot of, of work, but I think it's really worth it and, and really important to um, have as many conversations going on across different parts of our communities as possible. And yeah, that's anthropology too, is just like getting as many perspectives, talking to people who are the closest to it, like getting out there. Um, you know, we're all about like being there wherever there is. Um, so yeah, like that was a cool model, but also excited to think about um, combining classes with students and with people from other kinds of communities too with seniors with um other yeah like like demographics um there's a lot of a lot of potential and just like having people in the same in the same room in the same conversations i think we made it to question 13 so let's uh if someone is interested in the idea of prison reform or prison abolition or just the whole topic um in general do you have any books that you would recommend for people to read on the subject and um or any other uh, documentaries or anything yeah. like that what what can we do to learn more about this yeah um so some thinkers who are doing really there's and there's so much um but i would say any work by Mariam Kaba um, and like really like social media has been amazing. Like really? Instagram, TikTok, there's so much, um, activist like thought happening and organizing happening that, um, uh, let's see, critical resistance is another, um, group of like scholars and activists who've been working for a long time. Um, so looking up, starting with those folks on social media. Yeah. And, and, um, or Maram Kaba, um, t- like tons of other other people, but those are like good starting points um, to connecting with other yeah writers, thinkers, and also just like people in each area. Because part of the um, reform challenge is that prisons, jails look so different in different places mm-hmm. and are at the state level. Um, so it's a very like as much as it's like a, a like a national um, 
like issue and set of questions that's also super local too. So wherever you are or are from or think you're moving to, there are people who are um, going to be working on these issues there who will know kind of like the um, organizing, the thinking that's been happening there, the reform work. Um, and yeah, and and it's the best if you can just like get with a group of people and, and talk about it and learn about different experiences. Um, yeah, and or connect with the um, the letter writing project here in the Cove. Okay, um, cool. There's yeah, so there's yeah, so a lot of like rad students who are who are who are plugged in that would be good resources too. And that was thirteen. <laughs> Thank you so much, you. Uh, Professor Hello Palole. Uh, really, uh, really nice having you on the show. Uh, tell your friends and family about the podcast. If you have a subject you'd like to hear us explore, you can always email thirteen at colgate.edu. That's 13, the number. And until next time, keep asking questions. 13 is a production of the Colgate University Office of Communications and Events. Episodes are recorded on campus in Lathrop Hall. Executive producer, Colgate Vice President for Communications and Events, L. Hazel Jack. Producer and host, Dan DeVries. And audio production by Brian Ness. Learn about all the happenings at Colgate at colgate.edu, colgatemagazine.com, and colgateresearchmagazine.com. 